Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the New Cyber Frontier. My name is Sean Murray. I am here with a special guest, Katie Adams from Soffel. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the great things that she is contributing, um, not just to the cybersecurity industry, but um, to the to the employment industry and workforce industry um, overall. So Katie Adams, I'm going to have her talk about herself a little bit about what she's doing, but I just want to read this this part of her bio. Katie Adams is a senior director for Softle Partners, U.S. Department of uh, Labor. National Industry Intermediary Contract uh, to expand apprenticeships in cybersecurity and in the tech industry. Um, she is a U.S. Uh, Department of Labor recognized subject matter expert um, in apprenticeships and workforce development. Previously, Katie provided workforce and marketing um, as a SME for technical assistance on several U.S. Department of Labor and National Science Foundation contracts and grants over 11 years um, advancing adult and youth apprenticeship where building industry-aligned academic certificate and degree-linked programs to meet critical um, occupational needs across several sectors. There's a lot more on this that I would love <laughs> to read, uh, but we only have half an hour. So um, <laughs> what's really great is, is you know, we talked about it the other day um, in our discussion you know, some of us have networks into other things that we do, not just cyber. And, yeah. you know, workforce is one of those things that we talked about the other day. Um, you know, lots of counties and states have their workforce programs. And um, you work at a very high level uh, within our government to help facilitate some of the resources, identify some of those needs, redefine what some of those terms are. Um, get rid of, you know, some of the old uh, mind school thinking um, and then redefine uh, for what we need today. And coming out of a pandemic, um, you know, there's a lot of dynamics that have changed the way even what you do from a workforce perspective. Before we get into the cyber piece of it, I'd love for you to give us a little bit about your background other than all that cool stuff I read. Um, you know, give us <laughs> some of your some of your background. Where'd you come from? And you know, what got you interested in this stuff? Absolutely. Well, Sean, thank you so much for inviting me on the show and uh, really enjoyed the, the uh, pre-show discussions that we've had. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough uh, to grow up just outside uh, the Capitol Beltway. And so to me, um, sort of goings on on, on Capitol Hill um, around national issues like workforce uh, was dinner table fodder. And um, after graduating college, I went to William & Mary in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, came back and, and started working on the Hill. Um, I started my career out uh, in government relations for Fannie Mae, the uh, previously known as the Federal National Mortgage Association, um, and just had a phenomenal experience there for the first 10 years of my career. 
um, and really focused on strategic communications and partnership development. Um, I left after 10 years, um, just a change of, of life plans and started my own firm um, working in strategic communications and content development um, across several industries, primarily um, uh, financial services, um, but then also began taking on clients in education and workforce. Um, and in uh, the early to mid 2000s, um, started doing some work with uh, National Science Foundation funded uh, centers, ATE centers, uh, which stands for Advanced Technological Education Centers. And those NSF ATE funded centers are, are all at community colleges nationwide. They're a really unique uh, program of the NSF in that they're focused exclusively on accelerating development of a middle skilled technician level workforce um, across all sectors of our American economy. And that middle skill technician workforce looks like occupations that require more than a high school uh, diploma, but less than a four-year academic degree. And that was really my sort of baptism by fire into this, this world of um, marrying education, both secondary and post-secondary education with workforce. And it was just a phenomenal opportunity to see both some of the innovation being um, undertaken as well as the very pressing need um, that has only become exponentially magnified over the last 10 to 15 years, and especially these last 18 months uh, during and now starting to emerge from COVID. Um, so I, I, through that work with NSF, began working directly with the U.S. Department of Labor, and that work has really focused primarily on um, work-based learning, which is sort of the broad umbrella <laughs> um, of um, what I would say education linked to workforce initiatives and specifically um, spending a lot of time and focus on building and expanding registered apprenticeship um, as a proven model of workforce development. So I've been fortunate enough to uh, to join Sopple Partners as a senior director. I um, never thought that I would uh, give up uh, my own firm, but it was just too good of a team uh, to, to not join forces with. So I've been working with them for going on about a year and a half, uh, two years now. We're doing some really exciting stuff in this space. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I, we were talking earlier, um, I've got a, a close relationship with the CEO of our workforce center in um, here mm -hmm. in within our county, El Paso County. And one of the things I, I shared with her based on our conversation was the amount of energy and passion that you have. And, and yeah. that's what's really required for something like this. Um, you know, the passion carried from, you know, uh, you know, being raised in the environment, having uh, passion within the, to have those discussions and then you know, turning it into a career and, and now just sharing the dynamics uh, that are behind that. And that's really a requirement because, you know, you're trying to motivate people to come to the table, have discussions, redefine terms and establish new uh, paradigms. Right. So um, we're talking with Katie Adams from Soffel. She is a senior director over there 
workforce. We're going to transition the conversation to um, different types of apprenticeships and, and what does that mean? Um, changing the paradigm of what that really means as far as uh, what is an apprenticeship now in the United States as compared to what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, right back after this message. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to the new Cyber Frontier. My name is Sean Marie. We're talking with Katie Adams. She is a senior director over at Sofl uh, Partners, and you know she works uh, uh, intimately on a, a contract with the U.S. Department of Labor and her contributions um, redefining workforces, you know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, lots of different changes, lots of different uh, perceptions on what um, workforce is, what apprenticeships are, what internships are. Why don't you give us a perspective of what you've seen over the, say, the last two years, 18 months, as far as, you know, redefining what, what it means to be apprentice? No, it's, it's a great question. And I think it's helpful to actually know, just extend that a little bit further. Um, you know, apprenticeship as a workforce development model, um, you know, is, is literally millennia old. I mean, we, if you think back, you know, some of the earliest Americans, Ben Franklin was an apprentice, um, George Washington was an apprentice. And so the model itself of transferring knowledge and skill from one worker to another through a structured series of tasks and learning, um, it, it's it's not magic, right? It's 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 been tried and proved and tested, uh, tested and proved. And um, so, within in the U.S., um, you know, apprenticeship was established by federal legislation um, early in 1900s, um, but it really wasn't until the early 2000s. Um, that uh, leaders at the federal level started looking ahead at those labor market projections. They started seeing that silver tsunami on the horizon of the baby boomer workforce uh, one day retiring and realizing this was happening at, this was going to be happening at the same time that technology was accelerating at an unimaginable pace. And so you had these two forces, and fortunately, um, workforce and apprenticeship um, jobs are a very bipartisan issue. So there's been sustained interest at the federal level in exploring what are some ways that we can help education, workforce, and industry work together to make sure that the American economy and American families remain strong even as our economy and our demographics are undergoing some seismic shifts. So the first real 
real investment by the Department of Labor um, in terms of investing outside of its own internal resources um, and internal staffing wasn't until the early 2000s. For the first time, there were some grants awarded um, to look at expanding awareness of apprenticeship. Um, and then that quickly moved into recognizing that there was a need to engage industry more intently and intensely. So um, the department has since put an enormous amount of resources, again, very fortunately and gratefully um, with bipartisan support, um, put a lot of resources into equipping employers, um, secondary and post-secondary ed ed uh, education um, providers and workforce systems with tools and resources to expand awareness of and adoption of apprenticeship. So all of this was underway. Um, there were large national marketing campaigns, an explosion of digital resources. Um, you know, there's this sort of cadre of us that were being, uh, you know, moving all about the country, um, having meetings, explaining apprenticeship, that it's a very simple model. Um, but that it can be customized, owned by employers, and utilized by employers for workforce development. That was all happening really starting around 2009, 2010, and then accelerating very quickly um, since then. What COVID has done, you know, COVID has essentially, not even 10x, 100, 1,000x, <laughs> you know, our national awareness of so many of um, our nation's vulnerabilities around education, around workforce, and around cybersecurity, um, you know, to overnight have the majority of American workers go home <laughs> and the majority of American workers be able to work either all or in part from, from home was previously unthinkable. And we did it because we had to do it. Um, what has happened since then is we've seen this, this seismic shift lay bare some very uncomfortable truths. And that's that we have this series of forces coming together right now that are really reshaping what employers know to be true about their talent um, and their human capital strategy. And for the first time, there's a large national dialogue happening around workforce and all of the elements of workforce, you know, including internships, co-op, cooperative experiences, job shadowing, externships, and apprenticeship. And sort of looking at this spectrum of how do we more meaningfully engage industry with education so that Industry is not just the end consumer of a conveyor belt of, of K through 12 public or K through 20 public education or private education. Um, that model is not, is, is not tenable. Um, we have for the first time in generations, we have a smaller projected workforce and labor market participation rate than in the past. You know, a lot of American industry was built on the post-World War II premise that, 
labor was plentiful and cheap. And that's changing. At the same time that technology is changing, people's notions of what work looks like is changing. The gig economy um, is really recasting work in a lot of people's minds. And so employers, employers are, are struggling, but they're also getting really creative and realizing that they have to be involved in not just buying talent, but in building talent. And that's where work-based learning and other types of engagement like registered apprenticeship come in. That's awesome. So that's a great overview of, of, you know, how the system was, you know, initially established, how it's evolved and where it's at today, especially, you know, given a pandemic. Um, We are talking to Katie Adams from, from Soffel Partners. Uh, U.S. Department of Labor uh, subject matter expert on workforce development, uh, creative solutions to be able to adapt to things like the pandemic. We're going to come back and finish our conversation with Katie right after this message. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to the new Cyber Frontier. My name is Sean Murray. We have Katie Adams from Soffel Partners um, out there in the National Capital Region doing great things with the Department of Labor. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, apprenticeships, internships, workforce development, you know, pandemic, all of it's related. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about uh, the initial legislation um, by law, you know, we have to have uh, an apprenticeship program. But you alluded to that that's over 100 years old or close to 100 years old. And during our yeah. conversation the other day, you know, it, you know, it's got to be updated. And the traditional yeah. mindset of carpenters, plumbers, HVAC, um, yeah. those union, traditionally union uh, based uh, apprenticeship, apprenticeship to a journeyman, to a master, whatever that that's that's yeah. not the that's the not what we're looking at today. Can you describe that? Yeah, you know, it's it's a really exciting time for this conversation around apprenticeship. And what I like to say is that the skilled trades and you know the strong involvement by American unions for decades has given us such a strong platform to build from. Uh, We have learned so much about what does and doesn't work in apprenticeship, as well as what the possibilities are for expanding it into uh, what are referred to as non-traditional occupations, meaning non-traditional to apprenticeship. So those those unions, those skilled trade occupations have given us a really good, you know, uh, lab, if you will, to look at and say, what, what have we learned? And the exciting thing is that the Department of Labor just even within the last decade, has done a lot of work um, to uh, to create more flexibility um, and adaptability for registered apprenticeship for employers and for educators. Um, the National Apprenticeship Act actually is um, currently um, 
being looked at for modernization as part, part of reauthorization. And there's some really, really great thinking and work going into it. The, the advisory committee on apprenticeship was just reestablished um, by Secretary Walsh and actually met for the first time, I believe, yesterday, um, which was uh, uh, exciting. Um, and it's got great representation by um, labor and, um, and industry. And so what we're looking at is, you know, getting word out to employers to make sure they understand that apprenticeship is an employer-driven model. At the, at the beginning, at the end of the day, it is employer-driven. This is not, um, this is not the U.S. government telling employers what they need to do. This is not unions coming into areas that unions have not been involved in before. This is working with employers. Um, and if they have union uh, collective bargaining agreements for their work, that's fantastic. Um, but it's not required. And uh, most of the work that we do in non-traditional occupations focused on cybersecurity and tech, it's really explained to employers that we're essentially providing you with a customizable uh, model that you can use to fast track your recruiting, hiring, training, and retention efforts. And so it's really helping those employers understand that we, we take occupational frameworks that have been validated by industry. We work with those uh, employers to customize it. You know, looking at, do you need IT help desk technicians? Do you need more cybersecurity support technicians or cybersecurity analysts or pen testers or network and computer systems administrators? We work with those employers and help them create a very customized program that enables them to have a, a structured in-house training plan. And the reason that's important is because there is obviously a huge workforce shortage right now in these critical occupations. Um, you know, like I said, the one thing that, <laughs> that the pandemic laid bare was our reliance on um, having strong, healthy, healthy digital networks and cyber secure networks. Um, and the reality is that we just don't have enough people right now to fill those jobs. There are almost, according to CyberSeek, there's almost 500,000 open just cybersecurity jobs. And right now, only 2.4% um, or a little over 2.4% of all college graduates earn degrees in, in computer science. Um, so maybe if there's 80,000 college graduates in any given year earning an undergraduate degree in computer science, and then you have 500,000 open cybersecurity jobs, um, you know, even I can do that math, that this does not work. And by having an apprenticeship program, what it does is it opens up the possibility for you to look at people maybe in different fields, maybe that are earning different degrees, maybe that are coming out of the military and you're not quite sure how to map their military experience. Or maybe folks that have um, a college degree, if that's a requirement for you, um, but it's not in your field, but they've done some relevant work experience. Having an apprenticeship model enables you to quickly map 
their previous experience in education to that occupation you need to fill or upskill for internally. And that's going to just, that's going to put you ahead of your competition in the marketplace because now you're not all competing for that same small pool of recent graduates. Um, you're able to compete for those graduates, the majority of whom, by the way, would say the number one thing that they want in an employer right now, even beyond salary, is opportunities for professional development and growth. And yeah. so having that structured plan just sets you apart as an employer of choice. Yeah, and, and it absolutely makes sense. Um, one of the things that we were talking about the other day is, is you know, in your role, looking for um, other states or counties or governments that are doing things that are innovative, um, not mainstay, and, and whether or not they're working, at least they're trying something, right? Um, and then highlighting those, bringing them back, see where else that they can be used in other ecosystems. Um, you know, we've got, a, we've got a program here that started in one school district that evolved into all 13 school districts. And it's an apprentice slash internship that allows high schoolers to go work for a company in, in an industry where they, that may appeal to them, right? And, yeah. and that's where, you know, hey, that's, I think that's what I want to go to college for. But it gives them an opportunity throughout the summer to go work for that type of company in that specific mm -hmm. industry to gain whether or not, hey, you know what? I guess I had, you know, some some different perspective on what this is. And, you know, maybe I don't want to do that now. Maybe I want to do something else before you go spend yeah. all that time and money in a, a post-secondary <laughs> right, program. And so um, having an opportunity to, to redefine what an apprentice, an internship in an apprenticeship uh, especially if if you you know transition from intern into apprenticeship because that now yeah. you've decided what that is in in the cyber industry what's unique about that is we don't require you to have um a cyber degree right computer mm -hmm. science or the master's degree but um you know there could be some credentials you gain across, along the way uh, that are certifications uh, i know a lot of companies that are it and cyber um, when, when my interns come through my program, for example, my cyber interns, um, we put them in and they are professionally certified as part of their internship. So, uh, where, oh. when they have down hours, they can fulfill the, the hours by studying for this certification. It's, it's called secure computer user. So they, they jump into that and they're able to every aspect of life, leave the internship with a professional certification. Uh, the, and then, you know, transition into what, uh, either an academic program or um, into a, uh, an apprenticeship. And so for apprenticeships in cyber, um, there's so many different disciplines, right? So yeah. how, how do you get exposed to those? Um, so those are the types of unique things that, that you're looking for as far as innovative programs. What other innovation yeah. are you seeing out there? Uh, that's contributed to the ecosystem and in, in workforce, especially with pandemic, as it relates to cyber. Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I love that example that you used. You know, one of the things that we look for is starting starting discussions with employers. Let's let's start with where you are, and you know, a lot of employers, especially you know, cyber and tech employers, are very familiar with that internship model. It's a great model, and so what we say is get more out of the model. Use that as a pre-apprenticeship uh, model. 
where it's, it's giving you, it's basically you're able to mitigate your risk by getting to know these students or these potential workers um, at a lower risk basis, right? You're, you're either paying them less or if, you're, if it's an unpaid internship, but you're still investing time and resources. If someone successfully completes that program, you can roll them into an apprenticeship program. And that apprenticeship program, you set the wages. Those wages are typically maybe between 50 to 70% of, uh, of someone who would be an experienced professional in that occupation because they recognize that they're having the opportunity to build mastery, uh, to become, uh, to, to build mastery against certain competencies that are required in the industry while also taking related instruction. So one of the innovations that we, we realized very quickly was needed um, in working with employers is, um, to your point, there may not be a specific degree that's required or a very specific um, you know, field of experience to come from, but there is this world of industry-valued credentials that speak very quickly about what a potential candidate um, could bring to the table. And so one of the things that we've done is uh, we sort of uh, approached this um, building mastery through related instruction from two different angles. The first thing is that when we as a national industry intermediary work with partners, um, if those partners do not currently have uh, partnerships with their local career and tech centers, um, their local community colleges or four-year universities, we help them develop those partnerships. We map those partners, those, those providers, uh, courses and programs of study to an apprenticeship program. And we, we help them develop pipelines to those talent, uh, to that talent. The other piece though, is that we recognize that very often employers would like to have, uh, they don't even necessarily need an academic program for their apprentices to complete coursework through. So we've developed strategic partnerships with several national leading industry uh, training providers. And we make, um, we make all of our courses uh, available online at no cost to the employers for all of their apprentices because it's fully subsidized through our USDOL contract. So those apprentices are able to by the end of their program, they are prepared to sit for multiple industry values certification exams and credentialing exams based on whichever occupation. Um, we're also working with transition assistance program officers to crosswalk transitioning service members' military records to civilian cyber occupations to help those cyber, those folks hiring for cyber occupations or tech occupations more quickly understand how they can award, uh, sort of capture all of those skills and that previous experience and previous education and incorporate that into a formalized training program. And there's several leading edge companies that are looking at how do we more rapidly engage those transitioning service members through apprenticeship, which is really exciting. Um, and then at the state level, just to, to, to end on that, you know, as the, the, as the daughter of two, two professional educators, I have a, a dear place in my heart for, for education. And I would say that there are some states that are just doing really, really innovative work. Um, I just got back from North Dakota and they had their K 
K20W initiative where they are looking at embedding digital literacy and cyber skills through their entire public education system from kindergarten through through wow, um, that's refreshing. Yeah, that's great to hear. And that's all aligned with workforce. So there's a lot of exciting stuff out there, and and you know we're we're happy to be able to serve employers with free technical assistance, incentive funding, and and training and more to help make it happen. Well, I can't believe a half hour's gone this quickly. <laughs> I mean, we swallowed up uh, even more than that the other day. Uh, great conversations. It's it's great. It's refreshing to see somebody who's actually working these types of issues. Um, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier. <laughs>